the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you continue in my word, you shall be my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are the seed of Abraham, and we have never been slaves to any man. How sayest thou, You shall be free? Jesus answered them, Amen, amen, I say unto you, that whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 35. Hey there, welcome back to Catholic with a Zen Mind. Can you hear that? Coming down like That's right, the only Catholic podcast where we take a look at Zen Buddhist thought. Not to mix anything. This isn't a bar, and I'm not a bartender. But we do this to uncover the quote, Zen within Catholicism. And we do this using scripture, things like the wisdom from the Council of Trent. We use wisdom of the saints. We use teachings passed down through the centuries by the church to uncover things that, I always say it, I say that mimic Zen, but no, it's the other way around. Things that appear to be identical. But in reality, the Catholic end holds the truer form. And I believe that's because we hold the belief in Christ. Now, here in the music, you obviously know that today we're not doing anything too in-depth. That music is synonymous with the scriptures and parables episodes now the scriptures and parables episodes what we do here is we just take a verse from scripture and you know we we either discuss it a little bit and talk about how it fits into 
or how a Buddhist concept can kind of fit into that understanding of scripture. Or we take Buddhist scripture and Catholic scripture and put them next to each other and see if they're really saying the same thing. I have a book, uh, and it's called The Parallel Sayings. And I can tell you right now, a lot of the sayings do not parallel. (laughs) Um, But today, all we're going to be doing is going over the reading that I read for you at the very beginning. John chapter 8, verse uh, 31 through 35. Now, I haven't been bringing you guys a lot of content, and I do want to apologize for that. I've, I've been kind of overloaded you know, with the holidays, uh, with my work schedule, my full-time job. Uh, see, this isn't, this is, a, I guess you could say, my hobby. <laughs> I, I work full-time, so this is usually done in my free time, which has been very minuscule lately. I haven't had much free time, uh, as well as preparing for uh, the holiday preparing for Christmas. Uh, happy Advent to all of you. If uh, th- This is a reminder, if none of you know about the uh, St. Andrew Novena, we're only about halfway, uh, go ahead and hop on to saying the St. Andrew uh, Novena prayer. Every day, say it 15 times, and it goes like this. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour, vouchsafe, I beseech thee, O my God, to hear my prayers and grant my desires through the merits of Jesus Christ and his blessed mother. Amen. Say that 15 times every day to do to take part in the St. Andrew's uh, Christmas Novena prayer all through Advent. Uh, if, if you start it on the Feast of St. Andrew and you say it all the way until Christmas, it is said that uh, you're granted a special grace um, for praying this Novena. So I just wanted to throw that in there. If any, if you're not aware of that, you know it's it's still a great way to prepare for uh, the coming of our Lord in Christmas, right? Uh, praying that prayer, kind of almost as a meditative way to think about you know the birth of our Lord. So moving on back to scripture verse from today, it's it's a verse on sin and specifically how the way Jesus puts it, when you sin, you become a servant of sin. Now, this is what I wanted to bring up, okay, because this is what causes suffering from a Catholic perspective. Sin is the cause of our suffering. So if you sin, as it says here in uh, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Amen, amen, I say unto you, whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Basically, you're the slave of sin. You are a slave to your own sins. Now, this language, you could take it uh, from more of a, a, a Buddhist ideological perspective, right? Those who grasp and have attachments are a slave or are a servant to those uh, attachments are the things that they grasp onto. And we've gone over this before when we talk about our concept of original sin and how we can view that as the basis of a start of our own Catholic uh, system of karma, so to speak, right? Because karma is nothing more than having attachments to good or bad things and placing those attachments above other things, right? Uh, so the Catholic's version is uh, the the fruit of 
good and evil, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. When they eat the fruit, they're granted with knowledge of good and evil. So we know what is good and we know what is bad. So we tend to cling to what's good and try to avoid what's bad. And that inherently causes suffering, right? So that's, that's the Buddhist understanding of things. If you're clinging to something, and you can't let that go, it's going to create suffering for you. Easiest example, right, is say you have a dog. Grow very attached to that dog. Say it lives a very long time, 13, 14 years. You grow very attached to that dog. It's a member of your family. When it passes, it's very painful. Very hard thing to go through. That is the kind of thing I'm talking about. That is the suffering I'm talking about. It is good, right? You're in the pursuit of good to have that companion, that loyal companion, uh, or in some cases, if it is a uh, support animal for you, you know? Many people have dogs for emotional support reasons. You grow very attached to that animal. When it, it brings you a lot of good. But when the bad does happen and it finally passes on, because we live so much longer, it creates suffering. So it's not necessarily you're creating your own suffering for your own suffering's sake. No, you could create your own suffering on accident just trying to accomplish the good. And when you sin, all our sins are really... Well, when you commit sin, right, it's nothing. It's pulling you farther away from God. It is slowly moving your soul that much a little farther away from God every time you sin. And the, th and the thing about sin is once you sin, right, you get that little voice in your head, the voice of the, of, of the demon, right, telling you, oh, well, you sinned, it's all over, there's no hope for you now. And it just pounds that thought into your head over and over and over again, and it causes you to what? Eventually, you sin again. Or it's a, a sin of something like gluttony, right? Where, well, you just keep eating because you like to eat. You eat too much because you like to eat. And it doesn't have to be eating. You could be a glutton in many different cases. I'm, you, know, you could be a glutton in pleasure. So you like to seek. And, and that can be a double-edged sword. It'd be a huge double-edged sword. Because then you get into the sin of sexual impurity if you just seek pleasure. Especially sexual pleasure. And then therein... As another trap, because that science has now shown to be very addicting. It, it releases a lot of the same kind of endorphins that drug addicts have released into their minds. So when we do these things, these sins, there are these mechanisms in, in, within ourselves that are, are pushing us closer and farther into sin. And really, all to fight those, all we have to do, well, my... I guess you could say recommendation is all you, all that you really need to do. One is be uh, persevere uh, per persevere in your prayer life. Don't uh, don't be a pushover spiritually, you know. Uh, especially if you pray the rosary, pick that rosary up every chance you get. Pray it. And another way is to go to frequent confession and holy Eucharist sacrifice of the mass go up to you know receive our lord both of these things confession reconciliation and receiving the eucharist both give us graces to help combat our sins if you go to a priest and confess about a specific say you're struggling with the sin of uh 
I don't know, say you're a, a klep kleptomaniac or however you say it, and you just like to steal a lot. You go and you constantly are confessing that sin, and you mean it. You will be given the graces to overcome that sin. If you go up and receive communion, of course you have to receive it in a state of grace. So if you have committed that sin of stealing, go confess first before you <laughs> receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. But after you go to confession and receive those extra graces, go receive more extra graces in the Eucharist. You will be strengthened against those sins. You will be tempted again, 100%. But at least you will have more than just yourself. You're never alone in the fight against sin, right? So, I just kind of wanted to, you know, pop in here and, and give you all a quick, I guess you could say rumination on this Bible verse, because I was, you know, I, I, I saw it the other day, I read it, and, and I just thought to myself, you know, that'd be a good, a good topic for a short Scriptures and Parables episode. Now, right here. This, this verse, Jesus answered them, Amen, amen, I say unto you that whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. It is the, it is the formula of Catholic karma. We know the history, the basis for it, where it came from. And it came from the original sin, the initial act of the original sin. The defiance against God to eat of the uh, fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, what is the system? sin. Sin is the system. Right? If you sin, according to chapter 8 in John here, you become a slave to that sin. That is uh, as cut and dry as you can get is a, a sense of, of karma. Almost a spiraling sense. If you sin and you're aware of your sin, like I said before, you will be tempted to think that all hope is lost. Don't. Now, seeing as we've talked a little bit about the topic of suffering, I thought it would kind of not be too bad of an idea to hear what some other prominent voices, much more prominent than myself, <laughs> in, uh, in the Catholic Church have to say about suffering. And it, it seems that some of the uh, talks I gave, uh, that I, uh, some of the talks that I've uploaded from uh, uh, Fulton Sheen and from uh, Father Chad Ripberger have gotten quite the good feedback. So, for this episode, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to end my rambling so that you guys don't have to listen to me anymore. And I'm going to, I'm going to play you all a talk from, uh, well... Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen on suffering. So, what we'll go ahead and do is I will just go ahead and stop talking. <laughs> and we'll take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll listen to Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen talk about suffering. Hang tight. Hey friends, it's Amanda, and if you love coffee as much as I do, 
and you're trying to manage your weight, I've got great news for you. There is a first to the market coffee that tastes amazing and can help you with your weight loss goals. Isn't that crazy? It's a French roast coffee, only 10 calories, and it will help keep you full for hours. It also has nootropics to boost your brain and improve your focus, and it is made from five plant-based sources of caffeine. I would love to give you more information. These results will blow you away. For more information, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. My name is Amanda Wurtz, W-U-E-R-T-Z. Thanks, guys. God bless. Hey, hey there, listeners. Are you enjoying the show? Do you want more content? If there was a way you could contribute financially to the show, might that interest you? Well, we've been working on that. And for now, we've got a way you can support the podcast. It's to buy CBD products from our affiliate link, which we'll put in the show notes. CTFO, that's Changing the Future Outcome. CTFO CBD is the fastest growing CBD company. Get excellent pricing on top quality organic hemp CBD products and support the podcast at the same time. According to the Harvard Health blog, CBD may help treat certain forms of childhood epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, chronic pain, arthritis, and may help to inhibit inflammatory and neuropathic pain. All 50 states have laws legalizing CBD with varying degrees of restriction, so check your local laws. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. Okay, so before we move on to Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, I just want to say a few more words about, well, John chapter 8, and also suffering basically. Karma. See, this idea of grasping and attachment is exactly what Jesus is speaking of in this verse. If you commit sin, you will be the servant of sin. It's attachment. That's why we, in Catholicism, we pray for the help to detach ourselves, to deny ourselves from worldly goods. Because we, our vision, is on otherworldly things. We're not made for this world. So why should the things in this world be our focus? Deny those desires, the concupiscence of our nature. And in the last part of that that I read, it said, Now the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. He's making, he's making a distinction between those who sin and are servants, slaves of sin. They don't abide. They abideth not in the house forever. They're not around forever. And even after death, well... They won't last. He says, but the Son abideth forever. He's talking about himself. He's telling us to take refuge in him instead of being a servant of sin. 
And also if we stop and take into account one of the other causes of suffering. Now it's not necessarily a cause. And we might be able to get into some apologetics here real quick. So the problem of suffering, that's one of the objections towards God existing, right? Suffering exists, and if God's all good, why, why would there be suffering? He would fix it all because he's also all-powerful. Therefore, he's either one or the other, or he doesn't exist. Well, not necessarily. We don't know what the outcome of that suffering or that bad thing will be. God may permit that suffering in order to bring about a greater good, right? And see, that's not, that's actually, he doesn't act firsthand in our lives, but that is one of the ways he acts in our lives. He uses suffering to push forward his will. If you're suffering for a specific reason, especially because of a sin, well, that's a wake-up call to stop sinning because you're suffering from it, right? It's kind of like the concept if you think you take metal, okay, take iron, and you put it into the fire to purify it. And that's the concept that Catholics have for purgatory. It's not even necessarily a place. It's a stage, a purification stage, right? So think of that concept, and that's what you get when you think of the other cause of suffering, or the other, or I guess you could say not the other cause, but the reason that suffering is allowed to exist. It's not that God is not all good because he allows suffering to exist. No, that suffering may bring about a greater good that we can't see because we are not all-knowing. And it's it doesn't mean that he's not all-powerful because he can't stop it from happening. No. He's all-powerful because he's using it as it's happening to bring about his will. He doesn't need to get rid of it. He takes control. That's why we trust in him. Give it all to him. Holy complacency is St. Francis de Sales says, I am complacent in giving my troubles to you, O Lord. That, that I came up with that. That's not something St. Francis de Sales says. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> so, so, without any more further ado, I will go ahead and I will pass the proverbial mic on to Fulton J. Sheen. And we will listen to exactly what he has to say about suffering. You may recall a few years ago there was a story going around with this effect about a little girl who was told by her parents to pray because there had been so many misfortunes and sufferings in the family. And so the little child prayed and said, Dear Lord, my brother has the mumps. My sister fell off the bicycle and broke her leg. And my older brother has pneumonia. And Daddy lost his job. So, dear God, please take care of yourself because if anything happens to you, we'll all be in the soup. <laughs> Uh, 
We have received so many letters from people who have had uh, greater sufferings than this little girl. We decided tonight to talk on the subject of suffering. First, on some of the paradoxes of suffering. Secondly, on two ways of meeting pain or suffering. And uh, finally, how to accept it. First of all, the paradoxes. Have you noticed that in our contemporary civilization, there happens to be a coincidence. First of all, of great material prosperity and at the same time, a tremendous amount of inner and mental discontent. First of all, we do have material prosperity. The per capita income of the United States is around $1,750. China's $26 a year. But along with that, there's an inner unhappiness. 51% of the hospital beds of the United States are occupied by mental patients. We ought not to have this tragic sense of life with so much prosperity. Why is it? Certainly it's not because we're prosperous. It can only be because, to a great extent, we are assuming that all we need to be happy is some external prosperity. In other words, we've made our philosophy a philosophy of having, rather than a philosophy of being. And the reason there is this inner discontent and unhappiness is because man is trying to put the infinite into the finite. This is the mathematical symbol of the infinite. This is the symbol of the finite. And what we're trying to do with our soul and our heart that was made for the infinite of life and truth and love, we are attempting to pull this infinite down into our finite structure with all of its material environment. It simply cannot be done. Rather, what we should do to be happy in the midst of prosperity is to take this finite nature of ours and plunge it into the infinite. As Hans Werfel said, this line of the human and the finite and reason must be crossed somehow or other. And Werfel continuing says, it is crossed above by faith and it is crossed below by insanity. That is the, is the first peculiar paradox of modern suffering. Now there's a, a second. And the second has to do with pleasure. Have you ever noticed that we have a greater capacity for pain than we have for pleasure? For example, we, uh, our pleasures are not always very enduring. For one thing, a pleasure can reach a point where it will give us pain. It can turn into pain. For example, tickling. And then also, have you noticed, too, that pleasure sometimes will go up like this, and then there will be a sudden drop in them. And finally, in order to get identically the same reaction, one must very much increase the stimulus. So we're not getting here, out of this life, all of the pleasure and happiness that we possibly can. But pain... 
campaign, it seems, could very quickly reach an end. And yet somehow, it reaches that end that we anticipated, and we still bear it. We go to a dentist, and we feel that if he drills five minutes more and goes six feet deeper, I just can't stand it. <laughs> we stand it all right. And then he continues to bore, and we know he's going to hit oil. We stand it. <laughs> There are many people listening to me in sick beds of suffering who felt that they should have exhausted themselves months or years ago, but they still can go on suffering. Now, why is this? Why do we have a greater capacity for pain than for pleasure? I think because it was intended by God that all pain here should end. That's why we seem to exhaust it. Because there will come another world when tears will be wiped away. And the sorrows of this life are not worthy to be compared with the joys that are to come. But with pleasure. Pleasure and joy, particularly, is not intended to be exhausted here. That comes elsewhere. That happiness is being saved for heaven. And if people understood that, perhaps there would be, well, less mentally disturbed, less inclined to go to the psychiatrist because they've all got skeletons in their closet and they make no bones about it. <laughs> that brings us to the double reaction to pain. There are two possible ways of enduring pain. As Stevenson expressed two ways of looking out of prison bars. Two men looked out through prison bars. The one saw mud, the other stars. And in the midst of agony and pain and suffering, one reaction of pain can be rebellion. The other reaction of pain can be resignation. Why this difference? The difference is due to the fact that this person has sees no purpose in pain. And when there's no purpose seen, no final destiny, when pain is just as opaque as a curtain, then it's rather natural for the soul to revolt against it. When one can see a purpose in it, see it as a means, see it transparent, and is opening on to something else, then there can be resignation. These two attitudes toward pain were perfectly exemplified on a day when two thieves and revolutionists were put to death. They were crucified on either side of our divine Lord. Both of these revolutionists suffered exactly the same torture. They had identically the same background. When they each felt the impress of the nail in their hands, when the crucifixion began, they blasphemed. And then when finally they had gone, had mounted their crosses, 
They heard the one on the central cross speak. It was a peculiar word he spoke. Generally, when men die, they either protest their innocence, or if they have any spark of justice in their souls, they ask for forgiveness. But here, for the first time in the history of the world, the Son of God and the central cross was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When the thief on the left heard this cry, he suspected that there on that central cross was power. And so he asked the one on the central cross if he had power to take him down. That to him was the sign of omnipotence to stop that pain and that suffering. Why should he be there? Why did he ask to be taken down? Not to be made better, but simply to go on with the dirty business of thieving. But the other thief, when he heard that prayer from the Central Cross, he immediately began to see a relationship between his sufferings and his guilt. His background is a blackguard, a revolutionist, and a racketeer. And some sparks from the central cross ignited some inflammable material in his soul. And in the belfry of his conscience, the bell began to toll. spoke to the brother thief and he said fear ye not fear ye not we suffer the just reward of our crimes but this man has done no wrong and then he uttered a prayer. And turning to the divine Savior on the central cross, he said, Remember me. Remember me. When thou shalt come into thy kingdom. Kingdom? One who apparently was a fellow criminal. The thief looked at the crown of thorns and saw there a royal diadem. The nail was to him a scepter of power and authority. His crucifixion was his installation, his blood was his royal purple. And he asked only to be remembered. And there came back in paradise. Now, 
It was the foundation of democracy, the worth of a single soul. Thou shalt be with me. I always wonder why he said in paradise, to be with him is paradise. And the thief died a thief, for he stole paradise. And paradise can be stolen again. From these two reactions, we see the one that is to be chosen, the two ways in which pain can be used. Pain can be used, first of all, in expiation, that is to say, for our own failings and sins. Secondly, in reparation, for the failings and the sins of others, first of all, expiation. I can remember uh, when I was a boy about eight or nine years of age, my brother and I were playing a ball in the backyard and we threw a ball accidentally through the neighbor's window. And mother heard it and she called us in. And uh, she sent us to our piggy bank. And she made us take the money out and go over to the man next door given the money for the broken window and also asked ask him to forgive us. Now, why should we just ask to be forgiven? Well, because we broke a window. People think that when they do anything wrong, all they have to do is be forgiven. Oh no, we disturb an equilibrium, an order. And that order often has to be redressed. For example, if I stole your watch, if I stole the watch of one of these operators here, I could get close enough to this cameraman and steal his watch here. Uh, and then I would say to him, I'm awfully sorry, I stole your watch. Will you forgive me? He says, yes, I forgive you. But he says, give me back my watch. <laughs> well, so it is if we have, if we have sins, and who in the name of God hasn't? Well, we can ask the good Lord to take pains, come to us, an expiation and redress and atonement for all the wrong that we have done. We put down our foot, for example, three times in illegitimate, sinful pleasure. And to get back there to do right again, we've got to put our foot down in pain and be like little doggies with our tail in back of us. And then when we, only, when we reach this point, then only can we begin to do good. That's one way pain can be used. And the second way in which it can be used is in reparation. And here, we offer it up for others, not just for ourselves. How often, for example, in the physical order, doctors will graft skin if we burn our face, from our back to our face, to restore our pristine elegance. If a person is suffering from anemia, doctors will transfuse blood from an anemic member of society to the, uh, the healthy member of society to the anemic person in order to cure the person of that condition. Now, if it's possible to transfuse blood, don't you think it's possible to transfuse prayer? If it's 
possible to graft skin? Is it not possible also to graft some reparation? Some sacrifices? We live in a world in which we do not grow the sheep, for example, though we wear woolen clothes. Others help us. So it's possible to take our sorrows, our disappointments, and the jealousies and the hatreds of others and turn them all back again as the thief at the right did in order that someone else might be saved. That's reparation. Why should we offer up our sufferings in expiation or reparation? Simply because we love. Love will not kill pain. But love will diminish it. A mother sits up with her sick child all night long. To her, it's not agony. It's love. There are not any lovers in the world, I mean real, true lovers, who would not willingly take on the pains and the agony of others, if they possibly could. Love in, in the face of sorrow does not seek isolation. It wants to take on that pain as its own. And why should not love in the face of sin and evil want to do the same thing? The great tragedy of our world is that most people have no one to love. And since there's no one to love, they never think of the love of God. Their life is tragic indeed. Oh, the tragedy of the world is not so much. Suffering is what we miss when we do suffer. Think of all of the sick and hospitals with aching brows who might in some way sanctify that pain by correlating it to a crown of thorns. And all the wounded hands that might sacramentalize that agony did they but correlate it in some way with hands that were riven with steel to all the aching hearts of the world, with all of their worries and anxieties and fears. They would only not allow that pain to go to waste, but offer it up in union with someone whose heart was open to take in all the hearts of the world. Why should we fly from that love? I slipped his fingers. I escaped his feet. I ran in heat. For him I feared to meet. One day I passed him, fettered on a tree. He turned his head and looked and beckoned me. Neither by speed nor strength could he prevail. Each hand and foot was pinioned by a nail. He could not run, nor clasp me if he tried. But with his eyes, he bade me reach his side. For pity's sake, thought I, I'll set you free. Hey, 
take this cross, said he, and follow me. This yoke is easy, this burden light, not hard nor grievous, if you wear it tight. And so did I follow him who could not move, an uncaught captive in the hands of love. There you have it, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen and his talk on suffering. I hope you all enjoyed it. I, I definitely did. I definitely learned a thing or two. I hope you all did too. Remember, just like our Lord tells us, John chapter 8, verse 33. Oh, I'm sorry, 34. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. We're told elsewhere, we cannot serve two masters. So stay away and do not, to the best of your ability, knowingly commit sin. Focus on the Son. Focus on our Lord. Well, that's our episode of scriptures and parables. It might not have been the longest on my end, but I hope Fulton J. Sheen picked up the slack for me. <laughs> if any of you would like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Facebook. That's where I'm actually the most active. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash J. Martin, Catholic Zen Mind. You can find me on Twitter at Catholic underscore Mind. In the show notes, I also put my other Twitter handle in there find me on parlor at koc crusader capital k i'll put the link to that in the show notes as well you can find my youtube channel where i upload mindfulness practices as well as know thyself meditations i got one coming up here soon as a matter of fact i'm getting ready to record it as soon as i'm done here and or you could email me catholics and mind at yahoo.com you can email me questions, comments, any kind of ideas you have that would make, make a good show. I'm even open to that. Well, that's all I got for you guys today. As always, Zen hard, or don't. Pray harder. Pick up the rosary. It's the spiritual sword, the battering ram given to us by Our Lady to overcome all heresies. Pray the rosary daily, especially in these times. Stay humble. God bless.
the prayer for humility. Lord God, we pray to you with all our hearts and soul that in your mercy you may deliver us from pride and grant us the inestimable gift of humility that we may not follow the evil spirits in their pride to destruction but Christ the divine master of humility to sanctification may God in his goodness grant us this now and forever Amen.